0: you would remain standing for the reading of God's word this morning. It's ironic in a sense, as you'll see here in a moment, singing of the exalted Christ, the one who sits on the throne, who has overcome the grave, who is above every throne. And yet this is where we find his followers in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The king of the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I Am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father has assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Before we dive into it together, would you take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart from His word this morning? Father, we're here today to hear from you. There's so many things that can distract. Issues in life, pains, troubles, trials, tribulations. And yet, Father, you want to speak to us through your spirit. So I pray that we would remove the distractions that are competing for our attention, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear so that we might be a people, Father, who demonstrates and proclaims the good news of the gospel with the power and authority that only comes when your people follow Christ. Lord, open our hearts to you today, and may everything that we say and do bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? Our culture is consumed with the idea of greatness. We love to recognize and praise those who are outstanding and excellent. And everyone, I believe, in our church family, with the exception of our English sister, Heather Cumming, our campus administrator, knows who the quarterback is for the New England Patriots. Who is it? Tom Brady. Okay, not all of you knew. Most of you. Now, leading up to his last NFL championship, and certainly after, people all over the sports world were debating, and certainly are now, whether or not Tom Brady is football's GOAT. And what does GOAT stand for? The greatest of all time. Actually, just to encourage somebody today, just turn to him and say, You're the goat. You are the goat this morning. You are the goat. You are the greatest of all time. (laughs) And the goat of each sport is debated ad nauseum if you're into sports. The goat of any particular area or office or job or role in life, it's debated all the time, and that is exactly the argument the disciples are having right here in Luke chapter 22. Who is the goat? Who's the greatest? And I can only imagine what that discussion was like. I can assume that somebody like Peter would stand up and say, I'm the goat. I'm the greatest. They'd say, why? Why you? Did any of you walk on water? Nope. That means I'm it. That means I'm the goat. Well, I I could see John then saying, yeah, that was your moment to shine. I get that. But remember when we were on the Mount of Transfiguration and you were seeing Jesus in all of his glory? I was there with you and I had enough sense to actually worship him. You tended to speak up and just show your own stupidity. So I'm the goat. And they start arguing amongst one another who is the greatest, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? We are currently in our series called Core. We're looking into our core values at Woodside. These are values that describe the church as we are, but more than that, they're values that describe the church as we would like to be as we follow Jesus Christ, And today we're looking at our third value, and it is the answer to our question. What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? Live to serve. That's the answer. Actually, let's say it together. Live to serve. A little bit more robustness this time. Live to serve. That's what the great thing is. Live to serve the gospel. The context of Luke 22, if you haven't turned there yet, make sure you make your way there in your Bibles this morning. It is Passion Week here. So Jesus had just celebrated the Passover meal, the ancient Jewish holiday, remembering God's miraculous salvation of his people. Remember that they were asked, they were instructed to take a lamb, to sacrifice the lamb, to take the blood of the lamb and to place it upon their doorposts. And so God's judgment would not fall upon them. Instead, it would fall upon the Egyptians, which brought about their freedom. They were covered by the blood of the lamb. This event, the Passover, foreshadowed the ultimate act of salvation and redemption when Jesus Christ, through his person, his life, his death, ultimately his resurrection, his shed blood, brought about salvation for humanity, for those who would believe. And so they had just celebrated this Passover meal. This is the meal, the Last Supper, where Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. He had instituted communion. Even telling them through these symbols, this is about what's going to happen to me. They weren't quite getting it yet, but but he was anticipating what was to come. And when you think about that context, uh, context, you think about the one man, Judas, and Jesus served him alongside every other disciple. He got down on his knees, he washed his feet, all the while Judas was harboring contentment and hatred for Jesus in his heart. Jesus knew this, and he still served him. He served his enemies. He served them all the way up to his last breath. Now, Jesus, God in flesh, is At least when I think about that moment, when I think about what he did at the Passover meal, what he did with Judas, even knowing what Judas was about to do, it reminds me that Jesus is much more merciful and gracious with us than we think. And yet he demonstrates here greatness. Every act, every word, everything Jesus did was to serve the Father, and by serving the Father, he served us. So in this passage, Jesus shows us that God's path to greatness is found in doing the small things, mundane things, overlooked things, forgotten things, not rewarded things of a servant. So while the disciples are playing the blame game And they're trying to figure out which one of them was going to betray Jesus because he had told them that one of them would do so. An argument arises amongst them about who is the greatest. And this is where the story picks up. So, verse 24, we'll just read that one to begin. A dispute arose, also arose among them, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, that's a particular word. Pay close attention here, friends. The argument wasn't about who was the greatest. It was about who was to be regarded as the greatest, as if opinions of other people will settle the matter, as if we can look at each other and know who's the best. It's like the person with the loudest voice, the biggest bank account, and the best stories. Well, that then settles it. They're the goat. They're the best. They're the greatest. This might sound like something that happens in junior high, but these were grown men, Sometimes social media drives me nuts, and I really spend a, a much less time there than you might think because I talk about it all the time, but it just gives me such great preaching fodder. I mean, it's constantly giving me material because on it, it displays the raw depravity of human beings, all for you to read, see, and hear. And so I was looking last week, uh, and there was a Christian brother. He often posts about Jesus Christ. And while he's posting about Jesus Christ, there's other posts that really sometimes cause me to pause and question, and I get frustrated. Uh, The other day, this man who claims to follow Jesus Christ was posting about a business competitor. And the competitor tried to recruit some of his employees and was criticizing his company over text messaging. So they get into a little argument over text messaging, and then he ends up posting that argument on the text message. And in the argument, this follower of Jesus, basically in response to this guy who is criticizing him, says, keep laughing. I make more in a year than you will make in your lifetime. That must be it. He's the goat, right? He's the greatest. Is it determined by such things? What is greatness? in the kingdom of God. Few of us might not have the nerve to say things so abruptly and in such a public forum, but you've probably thought it, you've believed it, and you've demonstrated that same attitude through your posture with people. Because this is hardwired sometimes into our sin nature, friends, where we might not say it out loud, but we think to ourselves, you know what, I'm not doing that. Why? Because I deserve better. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm justified in my self-righteousness. I've done my part. I'm not doing that. Why? Because that's below me. I'm not going to get trampled on. I'm not going to have somebody step all over me. I'm going to make sure I get what I think I deserve. And every time we take that posture, even if it's unsaid, it's certainly demonstrated with our actions. Let me share three truths that will help us understand greatness, true greatness in the kingdom of God, and also help help us overcome this issue that is really written on all of our hearts. The first is this, Jesus reminds us that being great is not found in being dominant, Being great is not found in being dominant. The context of this is incredible. Jesus had just finished celebrating Passover, as I'd mentioned. He's foreshadowing what he was about to do for them on the cross. He had just got down on a knee with a towel and washed their feet, including the feet of the one who would betray him. And yet right after this, they're arguing about who's the goat. I mean, right away. They're arguing it's unbelievable. It demonstrates it demonstrates our incredible ability as human beings, fallen broken human beings to be completely self unaware. To not even recognize what we're doing, to think you know what is right, to think you know what is truth and to not only not be right and not know the truth, but to be stubbornly arrogant in your own stupidity. This is what these men are doing. This is what they're demonstrating here. Did you know that studies have shown that hormones are released in our bodies when we are confronted with the issue of status? And when opportunities to move up confront us, those hormones get moving. Something physically happens in our bodies when we are confronted with opportunities to move up or we're confronted and somebody is attacking our status. Something happens to us. It changes us. It's like it's, it's been birthed in us. We've had it all along. We see it in our children and we never really rid ourselves of it and sometimes it just boils up in us. It still does. I saw a fairly humorous demonstration of this Just a few weeks ago, we were at Disney, and here came down the road that we were walking down Belle, none other than Belle. And so here comes Belle (laughs) walking down the street, and of course, once everybody saw her, it immediately makes chaos, and everybody jumps into a line so they can get her autograph and get her picture, And this time she was in not the yellow, you know, dancing dress, but just her blue and white dress. And so this is, it's amazing how fast Belle moves around this this place called Disney, but she, that's because there's 50 of them, but she's there. And, and so everybody jumps into line. We jump into line. Eliza, our youngest, she's excited. Uh, you know, uh, Leah's smiling. Josiah, I, I don't even know if he was paying attention. But we're all standing there in line. We're like the 10th people in line. Is that about right? Probably about the 10th in line. And then right in front of us is the 9th person and the 8th person. Well, they had gotten into a disagreement, these two women, about which one was eight and which one is nine, which is a difference of like 30 seconds. And so they start arguing right in front of me, and all of a sudden this argument about who was first, because it's a status thing, turned into, it boiled over, it wasn't just about who's in line, now it's their character, with full of racial and ethnic slurs. Just spouting off at each other. An African American woman, Caucasian woman just going at it. It was kind of a crazy scene. I wish I would have thought to pull out my camera and videoed it, I, I was actually thinking I should separate it. So, it, it, cause they're fighting and they're yelling while Belle just like five feet away is like, hi, good morning, look at the birds. And you know, all this other stuff is going on. It's a crazy scene. So she's doing her deal. They're fighting, I try to step in between and I literally cannot get in between them because they are so up in each other's grill. And so finally a worker comes over and settles down the whole situation. These were 40 or 50-year-old women waiting for Bell. <laughs> what is it about us that causes us to respond with such immaturity when our status is questioned? You see it in every, every day you see this on the news, demonstrations that turned into fights, that turned into arrests, people in a grocery store line, people debating something, people demonstrating for some cause, whatever it is. This is not a children's issue, friends. This is a human issue. Now, what do you think is happening? Let's go back to our context. What do you think is happening to the relationships of these men while they're arguing about who's the goat. Here's the point. Listen carefully. When we pursue definitions of greatness that are not consistent with Jesus' definition of greatness, we hurt each other. When you pursue definitions of greatness that are not consistent with Jesus' definition of greatness, you will hurt people. And that's what's happening here. So what does Jesus do? Does he meet their arrogance, pride, self-righteousness, and selfishness with a strong rebuke? I would have been so tempted if I was Jesus Christ with the authority of the sovereign God through the power of the Spirit who could demonstrate miracles and proclaim my authority at times with those disciples to use my miraculous powers and literally shut their mouths. Like, I've wanted to do this in my home so many times. I mean, if I just could, could wave a hand and, and say, be quiet, and, and people would just not be able to literally speak. There are times when I've been in, in, in counseling with people, brothers and sisters, where I, I literally wish I could do the same thing. Uh, Jesus, he had to be tempted just to do that, but what does he do? With all of this arrogance and this self-righteousness and this pride that they're even unaware of. He gently teaches them. Isn't that fascinating? He doesn't yell. He is more merciful and gracious than we know and infinitely more patient than we deserve. Verse 25, and he said to them, he tells them a story. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Jesus reminds them how the world works. He says, this is how the world works. They lord it over them. It means to exercise power over them. It it implies the tendency towards compulsion or oppression, which is inherent in all earthly power. And it's not just political power. It's any relationship. It's the illegitimate use of authority and power. It's domineering over others. And Jesus says, this is how the world works. And then Jesus says, these kings, this is how they mask it. They serve as benefactors. They go around and they do things for people. And as they're serving, they're saying, see? Look how much I serve. But all the while, while they're serving, they're really just serving themselves, and it's just a facade to cover up their own selfishness. Jesus says, that's how the world works. That's how they do things. See, having authority and power is not the issue. It's how it's being used. Jesus has ultimate authority and power. He has ultimate authority and power at his name. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And yet while he has the power of creation in his fingertips, how does he use that power to serve people? Not to domineer over them, to serve them. Did he only serve them because he got what he wanted? Well, if he would have gotten what he wanted out of the whole deal we would have never had salvation available. Instead, while he was still being mistreated, misused, abused, he still served. Do you see yourself in these men? Do you hear this message maybe and immediately think of all the other people in your life that need to hear it? (laughs) Yeah, this is a good one. When's this gonna be posted? I know just the person. They need to hear this. I, I, they, they use that authority, and, and I see that in them. I see that selfishness instead of servitude. They claim Christ, but they live this other way. They need to hear this, and, and, and so we constantly kind of go there in our minds to those other names, those other faces. Let me just remind us all this morning, friends, look inward first. Look inside your own heart. You can be loud Obnoxious, controlling, and dominant. You can also be soft, quiet, manipulative, and dominant. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Do you think that getting what you want when you want it is going to end well for you when it comes to the kingdom of God? I'm going to be honest with you, I failed at this. I still fail at this. I fail at this with my wife, I fail at this sometimes with my children. Often, I fail at this with my friends. I failed at this. And when we pursue definitions of greatness that are not consistent with Jesus' definition of greatness, we hurt each other and destroy relationship. I'm grateful. For the merciful, gracious patience of Jesus, because he shows us a better way. And even if you're like, man, I feel like I've screwed this one up, just know he's still there. His grace is available to you. If you're his child, as we'll see here in a moment, he will continue to do his work in you. Here's the second truth that will help us understand what greatness is like in the kingdom of God look at verse 26. But not so with you. That's the way the world works, that's not how you work. You're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, adopted sons and daughters of the righteous king, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, given a new character, a new creation, not like the old. The old has gone, the new has come. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you be as the youngest and the leader. As the one who serves. Being great is found in serving. Who's the you here? It's the disciples of Jesus. If you're here and you're thinking to yourself. I'm a disciple of Jesus. But you know what? I'm still going to kind of do what. I want to do because when I have control of things and when I put myself in that first chair and when I exercise that authority and when I lead that way, at the end of the day, I get what I want. I can move up in my business, I can move up in my home, I can get the results I'm looking for. So I'm going to keep acting that way, but yeah, I'm also a disciple of Jesus. This inconsistency here, the Bible says, don't be foolish. If you are a child of God who is refusing to listen to his heavenly father, then what do you think the heavenly father will do? He's our perfect heavenly father. What's he going to do to us? He's going to train us. <laughs> He's going to teach us. He's going to discipline us. God will not allow his own to live their own way in the long term. He does not allow this. He pursues our hearts relentlessly. He will pursue us relentlessly until we are formed into the image of his son. There is no stopping this process. The alternative, if you think it's better, it means separation from him altogether. And when all is said and done, at the end of the day, who do you think will win? The sovereign God? The sovereign God who is in complete control of all things or the defiant child? It was said by Chris Rock. It was sung on Broadway. I shared this at Thrive on Wednesday nights recently, but it was first written by James Weldon Johnson in his poem, The Prodigal Son, which was published in 1927. Young man, young man, your arms are too short to box with God. You will lose every time. Going up, is achieved by going under. Again, Jesus doesn't dominate to get his point across. He asks them next a question. Look at verse 27. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Of course it's the one who reclines at the table. When I'm at a restaurant and I'm being served, the one with the means, with the money, the one being served is the greater. That's the way the world works. But then he says, but contrast. Here's the other way. I am among you as the one who serves. He had just demonstrated greatness in washing their feet. How much more was he going to demonstrate greatness when he willingly goes to the cross? And he taught this lesson to these individuals over and 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 over again. Why? Because it doesn't matter whether you're 5 or 85, this is a hard one to get through our thick heads. This is a hard one for us to truly grab a hold of. Mark chapter 9, let me demonstrate that for you. And they came to Capernaum. This is a different situation within the ministry of Jesus. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Or how about Mark 10, the very next chapter? when James and John, when their own mother goes to Jesus, begging Jesus to give her two sons the best two seats at the table. A very self-righteous kind of thing to do, arrogant thing to do, where she basically says, and they're thinking the same thing. You know what, Jesus, we want you in heaven to have the throne like in the middle. So everybody's still looking at you, but we just kind of want to be right here and right here. So that when they look at you, we kind of can see that too. And so they're asking for those seats. That's what they're asking for. The exact same issue. The very next chapter, what does Jesus say? And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. This sounds familiar. And they're great ones. Exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, why the title? He's saying, even the Son of Man, the prophesied one, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who came, the one who created, the one who was and is and is to come, God Himself in flesh, God came not to be served but to serve god came not to be served but to give his life as a ransom for many if even god does this how much more you is his point galatians 5:13 through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That sounds like something that we'd see in a news headline. Biting and devouring, consuming one another. Isn't that what we see on television all the time and all these demonstrations and all the stuff? Who is Paul writing to, though, here, friends? Christians. Christians. He's saying this issue, it's a world issue, sure. Sure. But the problem is, he says, is it's made its way into the family of God. He says you're biting each other, devouring each other, trying to be the goat, thinking that you should be served, that others should serve you, and that you shouldn't be servant of all. Here the disciples are interested in titles In Luke 22, they want the title. I want the goat. I want to be called the goat. Jesus says, who cares about your titles? Instead, he offers them a towel. He had just washed their feet. He said, you want titles, I want towels. Trade in your titles for your towels. Let's say that together, actually. Trade in your titles for your towels. That's what he's saying to do. Greatness is not determined by how many serve you but how you serve others. And let me just make it personal now. How are you serving your wife? Husbands. How are you serving your husbands' wives? How are you serving your kids? Your neighbors, your boss, your Judas, even your Judas, your enemy. I've noticed something fascinating over the years when couples come to me and they're about to be married. They usually say this thing. They're involved in the church and they're serving. And then they say, you know what? We're going to step back from serving for a while because we're getting married. And we're really going to focus during this year of marriage on one another. We're really gonna establish our marriage. We're just gonna stare longingly into one another's eyes for 365 days. It's gonna be glorious. <laughs> every shade, oh you're so pretty. You just just stare and every night have a movie night, it's like a non-stop slumber party. And you know what undoubtedly happens after every first year of marriage from couples I hear that from? They come back and they say, man, that was the worst year ever. (laughs) We just fought the whole time. I say, why? Well, this is why, friends. Why? Because when you turn inward, it's destructive. When you turn inward, it's destructive. Devouring of one another. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Trade in your title, pick up a towel. Trade in your title, pick up a a towel. Let me share with you who the great people are. If you want to know who is great in our church, please don't look up here. This is not the place to find it. You should better, it's better to look down the hallway. It's better to look down the hallway at the people that are right now hanging out with your snotty kids and my snotty kids. (laughs) <laughs> the ones who right now, as they're dealing with all of that and trying to invest in these little kids, they're going to be thinking this afternoon, like, man, I need just a nap and a break. Who's great in the kingdom of God? They don't even, they get nothing from that. Nothing, our kids volunteers, nothing. Nothing. Are they going to? I'm talking from the world's perspective here, by the way. Are they going to get a better job because of your two year old? I doubt it. Are they going to get a bigger bank account? Are they going to be more networked? Like, it's not advancing their status, it's an investment in kids for the sake of the kingdom that nobody even really notices except for the parents. What's the great thing? What's the great thing? Let me share a final truth that will help us understand greatness in the kingdom of God. Verses 28 through 30. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father has assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Being great in God's kingdom is rewarded. But I want to share with you the reward is not what you think it is. (laughs) Judas has left. The 11 remain. In the midst of their selfish posturing, Jesus says, your future is my kingdom. Your future is in my kingdom. He's still being gracious with them. He's still being patient with them. Even though they're not getting it, he's still being so loving in his posture towards them. He says, I assign to you what has been assigned to me. I assign to you a kingdom. Basically, he's saying, you get what I get. You are giving what I have deserved. You are given the very thing that I gave my life for. You get it all. It's all yours. But notice this future isn't everyone's future. It says the kingdom is for, look at the verse, those who have stayed with me in my trials. It's for those who endure. It's what the book of Revelation calls the ones who overcome. By the blood of the lamb, not by their own strength. Be very careful thinking that your faith does not require obedience. This is not some cheap grace that we find here, friends. Those who will inherit the kingdom of God are those who prove to be the disciples of Jesus through what? Through overcoming trials. That our obedience and our movement towards Christ proves the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that is what ultimately is the evidence that we are part of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, Judas was gone. These men he knew would overcome. Jesus says, they will eat as a result at his table in his kingdom, judging the 12 tribes of Israel Now you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. So in heaven they get to judge the nations? So is Jesus saying, be a servant on the earth so you can be like a boss man up there? Like, be a servant so you can be a boss. (laughs) Is that what he's saying? No, 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 this is where we really need to know our Bibles. The role of a judge, as it was described in the Old Testament, was not a role of top-down authority. The position of a judge, as talked about in Scripture, was a position of servitude. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. The disciples will rule with Jesus, but they will also rule like Jesus. And what is the nature of his ruling Serving. It's not sitting on a beach having everybody come to you. The prize is you get to serve with Jesus. Is that enough for you? Is that satisfying? If that doesn't satisfy, may I kindly say to your heart this morning, that you don't know who Jesus is then? What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? Friends, Jesus is not simply calling us to do a few acts of service here and then. He's talking about a way of life. It's not about being dominant. It's through serving and it will be rewarded. It will be rewarded with what? What's the prize? With Jesus The truth is, as we close this morning, the question is a little misleading. I did that on purpose, (laughs) but what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? Let me ask another question instead. What if you and I were never meant to be great? What if you and I were never meant to be great? There is only one goat. There's only one. His name is Jesus. He's the greatest of all time, and all the rest of us, we're just lucky to be with him through his grace. He's worth a life of service. He's the prize. The Son of Man is the prize. Is he worth it for you? Father God, thank you for this day, thank you for your word. Father, as we think about this text, we do not want to be a church family that destroys one another because we're pursuing our own thoughts and definitions of what greatness really means. We pursue our comforts. We pursue our positions. We pursue and lead out of authority when all the while you tell us over and over and over and over and over again in your word, don't, Live that way, not you, not my own. That's not how my Father's kingdom works. Greatness is defined as servitude. Greatness, Father, you define it as servitude. May we be servants. Father, we don't want to be another church full of consumers, a church full of people who come and listen and enjoy But do nothing. Father, we want to be a people that serve you with passion, knowing that the prize is worth it, that serving your people, serving the gospel, serving your kingdom, it will one day be exposed to all of creation as the ultimate expression of your goodness, of your love. That is where we will experience life to the fullest. So Father, I pray that we would drop our titles, that we'd pick up our towels, that we'd drop our positions, and we'd lower our posture, that we would go down so that we could go up. And Father, I pray that we would demonstrate that first with each other, with our family here, And as we demonstrate it to one another, then we would demonstrate it to the world. And as we demonstrate your goodness to the world, for those who are being saved, they will look at us and say, how? I want in. Please help me. Jesus, save me. Ultimately, so we can proclaim your good news. We know we are weak in our flesh. We know that we still have those hormones that boil up, Father. We still have our tendencies. And so, Father, in our weakness, would you be our strength? When we try to do it ourselves, would your spirit intercede? Father, in our marriages, with our kids, at our workplaces, would you come and do a work? Would you show us first not to look at the person across from us, but to look in the mirror and serve regardless of the response? Father, we know we're weak, but you are strong, and you are strong in us. And we're grateful that we will come to the end and get to say, now I get to serve with Jesus. He's worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.